0: Welcome to the Kinsuki Heroes podcast special Alpine Bushfires series, where we share inspirational stories of everyday people from the Victorian Alpine region who went through the bushfires, which occurred from late 2019 through to early 2020. These stories highlight the different challenges and events people went through and how they overcame them. Please be aware that the story you're about to hear may have moments of deeply felt emotions and personal experiences. If anything you hear has a triggering effect, please reach out to someone who can help you. If you love this conversation, please like and share it with your friends so we can continue to share more inspiration and hope to as many people as possible. Now, listen up for our next hero's story. My guest today on the Alpine Series Conversations is with Darren Murphy, What a great man Darren is, so passionate, so caring. He's a retired army major and a club secretary and the recovery planner for the Alpine Black Saturday bushfires. He did a lot of work in and during the fires and the recovery efforts afterwards. This story from Darren is all about that. It's not about him. It's about how he and the Lions Club in Myrtleford rallied together and what they did to actually support the the, community, the people that were directly affected and how they did socialising for fundraising and improve things. He talked about infrastructure. They went from the fires straight into COVID and there was an influx of people from the cities landing in their town and the town just wasn't prepared for it. He's a very passionate community member and I love that he provided that lens, that different experience of the fires And whilst he wasn't directly, personally impacted by the fires, just like everyone else there, they were all impacted by the fires and it was a a team effort. He is a big team effort man and I just loved it. Please enjoy this one with Darren Murphy. Here we are. Hello, it's another special episode of Kintsugi Heroes, the Alpine series, and I'm here with Darren Murphy today. Darren, how are you going?
1: Yeah, very good. Thanks, Evelyn. Pleased to be with you.
0: I'm really happy to have you here. I'm excited. You know, I, I, from the moment we met, I, I knew that you'd have a, a great story. Uh, I love your energy and your optimism, and uh, thank you for putting your hand up to share your story about what was a difficult time.
1: Yeah, it was at the time on the ground. Uh, it's been about 14 years now, so sort of, um, just never forget because there was so much recovery effort and response um, from the community to put it all back yeah. together. And obviously we had another bushfire since then. Myrtleford in the Alpine region has its natural disasters. We don't have fires, we have floods. So, uh, yeah, anyway, um, <laughs> that's just what the way of life is at the moment.
0: Yeah. And, and look, I just want to point out, like, there's been a couple of, people I've spoken to uh, with this series who spoke about the 2009 fires. And uh, for those that are listening and might wondering, well, why, is, why are we talking to people from different fires or different regions? And, and I think it's because the people heal at different stages and in different ways. But what we do know is that it takes someone two to three years to even get back on the ground after a fire. And even get into their house the, the healing kind of starts around then but it can take up to 10 years and that's what the research shows and it's so important that people share their stories and I know that it's probably pretty hard for some people from the 2020 fires 2019 2020 fires to actually talk about it because they're not ready yet whereas you've had 14 years you're, you're able to articulate get this out and I think it's important for people to understand that that time gives you that ability because you've been through a lot of your healing, yeah, and and the necessary phases of that healing journey. But I
1: wasn't actually a casualty in the fire; so I was mm-hmm. sort of part of the response from the service club perspective, and that's the story I'll share with you today. Wonderful.
0: Well, mm-hmm. let's get into it then, shall we? I'm going to hand the mic over to you and ask you to take us back and you know t- take us through your story.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Evelyn. Look, um, my name's Darren Murphy, as you've introduced me. And um, uh, I'm a someone, I don't think I'm a hero. I'm someone who volunteers and steps forward. Um, I suppose that was ground into me as a child when I was in the Boy Scouts, like, be prepared, do your best. And then, of course, I have a background in the Australian Defence Force and the Army. And, you know, when things go to, to, to poo, you, you step forward and try and help. And uh, that's been my story. But I come from a family of volunteers. My uh, grandfather did 63 years in Rotary. My father did 40. And my mother even done volunteer work when she retired as a teacher on outback stations for 15 years. And they've all been yeah, part of my volunteering. Uh, but I really didn't get involved in volunteering until I left the army because I was moving every 18 months in different communities. But um, yeah, moved into Myrtleford and I uh, took on a role within the... Uh, local government arena, and I uh, built a rail trail, which is a disused railway line, which has been converted for recreational use. So I actually worked for three councils. Then I was working at a technical level with all the farmers, and then I was working at a marketing level with the businesses, and then I was with all the users. And so I got a pretty good feel about Myrtleford and, and so forth. And and then I was invited to join the Lions Club, and uh, Myrtleford has a great lot of volunteers. We have Rotary, Lions, Apex, CFA. SES land care groups but you'll find that you'll have the same people in lines who are in the CFA and they'll also do land care projects and they'll be running the football club and so forth so it's sort of I think there's two types of people there are lifters and there's leaners and I like to be categorized as a lifter Uh, my background in army is that I joined as a, a private soldier and did training as electronics technician but then I was fortunate enough to be considered for training Um, at Duntroon I was put back into a mechanical engineering discipline and basically trained as a logistician so as a consequence I was used to sort of yeah being involved in recovery efforts in different parts of the country prior to this so to me when all this went down it was um, something that I could get my head around pretty quick Um, and I had a good network of people in the Lions Club but this bushfire, as you mentioned, there's been numbers of bushfires. This was probably my third bushfire in 2009 that I've been involved with. In 2000, we had um, you know, the Stanley fires, and uh, we responded to that because we had Lions Club members who so were Stanley had orchards, and, and we got involved to help that Lions member. Um, then we had the sort of the uh, 2003 fires that were sort of in the national park, and then we had obviously the Black Saturday bushfires. On Black Saturday, I was celebrating my ex wifes birthday party um, at a place called the Valley Homestead, which is a outdoor education centre for uh, kids uh, on the rail trail. When I've had workings, I knew what was up there. And the reason we went there, because of all the hot weather we had preceding Black Saturday, was that there was a swimming pool there and it had an air-conditioned dining room and there was accommodation so we could have a family gathering uh, to celebrate my ex wife's birthday. And I had family members come up from Ballarat, and we had people uh, come in from all around the district. But um, a lot of um, my ex wife's family, they were in, uh, farmers and very involved with the CFA. So we had a lot of CFA pages around the swimming pool and, and the night. And we were already on edge because we knew it was a high risk day. So when it did happen, uh, yeah, we reacted, of course. Uh, we initially thought that we would stay there. And I suppose that's the big decision in these bushfire situations. Do you, do you leave if they do tell you to leave early? Or do you stay and fight and protect the assets? Well, we weren't in our own homes, so most people chose to go home and protect their own assets. My own family members, well, they chose just to get out of Dodge, I suppose you could say, and they got in the cars and went down the Hume Freeway. And, of course, they had the kind of confrontation of seeing fires on either side of the Hume Freeway. So that was a bit sobering, didn't then understand how the enormity and the size of the fires. So essentially that's where it's sort of the background for me in getting involved. So obviously on a Saturday, um, we're hearing lots of information because you're in regular contact with your network on the phone. Um, Well, Lions Club, we need to step up and do something here. So in contact with our president, uh, we called the emergency meeting at Lionship at the showgrounds. And we sort of had members who were already on hoses and had real information for us and we heard which farms had been impacted and, and where it was. But it was interesting, this particular fire was called the Beechworth or the Indigo Fire, that's where it was initiated, but that was probably about 20% of the impact. It was 80% of it was in the Alpine area and uh, and that had some effects when it came to sort of getting uh, financial support after the fires. So um, anyway... That's where I was up to there. Now, on the Sunday, yeah, we met, had a a round table, sort of got more real information about what had happened and how we could respond. And obviously, in these situations, we go back to the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and that is that, you know, food, water, shelter, um, support in any way possible. And we were mindful that, um, yeah, these people are very stressed out. What was the first need? So we thought water. So, through the large network of people, we had a water contractor, um, and we engaged him. We didn't know how we we're going to pay for it, but let's just get the water truck. And you go and visit every farm gate, and you fill their water tanks up because undoubtedly they have used those water, that water, in the protection of their assets. Um, and yeah, he was probably the first responder. They hadn't farmers and landholders hadn't seen anyone. Next to me, Larry turned up with his with his truck and. And what do you do doing here? Well, well, the Lions Club sent us out here to fill up your tanks. If you want a tank of water, we'll fill it up for you. So that was, yeah, it was very positive. Larry will have a story to share, I think, about that. Uh, at the same time, I mentioned that family members went home to protect their property. We had some which were landholders of Rosewhite, white, and uh, they were confronted with their front paddocks burning towards their houses. So they actually had to drive up their roads, get in front of the fires, and then protect their personal property and their hay sheds, but it was, and they still had lots of damage with, you know, kilometers of fences, you know, stock that were killed or had to be destroyed or injured. Yeah, as you say, it's a pretty horrific uh, scenario that you are confronted. And of course, as a volunteer organization, we'll do as much as we can. Um, And we might be involved for one or two months, but beyond that, we've got to get back on with our lives. And the legacy is that these people are then left to their own devices through the government organisations to, to do their own recovery. Um, in our assessment, we identified that there was a need for the people affected to get together also. So our second priority was to get involved with the Mudgee Gonga Hall community and we arranged the social um, for them. So we had uh, lions and lions ladies prepared food. And they went out as couples as opposed to just all blokes because we're, unfortunately we're a club that's all blokes. And, uh, and having them, because they knew most of the people who were going to be there, and uh, we provided the refreshments and they were able to find out face-to-face what had really gone down and who was affected and the extent of their damages and how can, we could help and, and so forth. So, um, yeah, as I mentioned, Lions Club, our club got involved, but then the district got involved, uh, Lions Club, uh, Myrtleford is one of 61 clubs in the V6 district. And uh, all of a sudden, we get a phone call from the district governor. He's got a disaster fund, and how can we help? Um, and a consequence of that, we had a bit of a team meeting at the Buffalo Hotel, and uh, I'd sort of gave a presentation and saying, well, this is our first phase. Uh, we've responded by doing this, this, and this, and then subsequently we'll be doing other stuff. So effectively what happened was our district, um, collectively, gave our Lions Club a hundred thousand um, dollars, because we make twenty five thousand dollars a year in our club, uh, running the rodeo each year, and we put that right back in the community on Lions programs, including the district's governors' um, disaster appeal, and uh, we've sent money overseas. And similarly, we receive money from an international organisation as well. So I think it's probably hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty thousand dollars we end up having allocated to us. So how do you spend it? Um, you don't want to give people double the money because the state government's giving money for different people who have obviously lost everything and temporary housing, but you can't give them enough. You know, and It got to be fair. Um, but another casualty of the bushfires is not just the people on who've lost property, it's the business holders because there was an aversion to go into bushfire areas. So the hospitality providers lose a little bit, although they do pick up a lot uh, because all the people come and work and they are accommodated and obviously the cafes do well and so forth. But essentially, um, we worked out there was a group of farmers who, if they earned 51% of their income off their farm, they weren't getting any support from the government. So we thought, this is unfair because the reason they're having to go off farm is because there's not enough money in farming and they've had droughts and disasters to deal with. it. So we made a a program where we would allocate $1,000 to every farm and they could use that as a voucher in one of the three farm supply places in Myrtleford, and that uh, worked very well. If they wanted a new lawnmower, go and buy a lawnmower. If you, we didn't means test it, if you needed a, a, a spray unit or what, it was never going to be enough money, but at least we were seen to be helping them. Um, once again, 100 grand is a pretty large sum of money to work out who gets what and how, but our local fire brigade uh, essentially were using private vehicles to respond and do crew changes out of the front line. And that is unacceptable. You now, these are our volunteers doing those frontline jobs. So if we gave them $5,000, they would be able to get a vehicle. And they've been able to keep that since those fires, which is now new. it gets replaced, of course. But um, it's nice to know that money was continued to be paid forward and so forth. And I suppose that's one thing that doesn't sit well with me is that with all this bushfire recovery money, uh, yeah, the other... Sport clubs get it because it's a good way of putting money in the community and restoring confidence and all that. But Middleford needs a new fire station. You know, the one we've got is so obsolete. They've got one truck, you know, parked kilometres away in someone's farm shed. And uh, it's just bizarre. And every time we ever get a request in our lives club for the CFA, they want cameras, we pay for it. You know, whatever we can give them to do their job is in our own best interest. So essentially, I've rattled off a lot of information there. um, But yeah, essentially, we we did some other sort of out of the box thinking. Um, being having worked in local government, um, being working on railway lines, there was an old railway line that went from um, Rutherglen up to Wagunya and that was being dismantled. So we were able to recover some of that railway line, and we had a lines member uh, who had a, a freight business and semi-trailers. So he went over, and we picked up all this railway line. And we cut it up into fence posts and we just dropped it at farm gates. Here's your corner post. You won't worry about replacing these ones. Um, so that was well received by members of the community. So, yeah.
0: It sounds very proactive and creatively, you, you know, in your thinking, of, of course, uh, especially with regards to the, the railway lines uh, as fence posts. And what a nice gift to the farmers. Right, to get the $1,000 voucher for farm supplies, mm. like you say, how do you, how do you figure out how to distribute 120 grand?
1: We didn't spend it in a week. It took us the you best know, part of a year to right. think how we would best spend that money so it would continue to pay for and be fair to all mm. the affected people in the community. Mm. Um, but as I said, lines and service clubs, um, my biggest concern is that we're an ageing organisation. Yeah, 14 years ago, our average age was 55, thereabouts, and now our average age is 69 and the replacements aren't coming through. So that's a some concern because not just us, it's um, the CFA, the SES, the land care groups, and yeah, it's all part of the community mm. you know, capacity, I suppose. Yeah. Mm.
0: Where were you living? Were you living in Myrtleford at the time of the 2009 fires?
1: Yes, yeah, no, I've been resident in Moodleford for 23 years. Unfortunately, with the rental crisis that's going on in Australia, well, that affected me. i had been renting um, and I got asked to vacate my unit and um, then there was nothing else available. Um, There were some pretty ramshackle houses at exorbitant prices, but I thought, no. So I essentially did some house sitting, um, looking after people who had chooks mostly. (laughs) They love going on holidays, need someone to keep their chooks alive. Um, but essentially, um, about 16 weeks, I realized I didn't, I couldn't afford to live in Myrtleford anymore. Uh, since COVID, the whole, all these small communities have suffered greatly from the lack of the casual worker because they obviously need to rent properties. And, uh, as a consequence, um, there's just nothing to rent. And if it is available, you'd have to, um, work two jobs to pay the rent. And, um, I don't necessarily think that's the way I want to live in, in my older age. But, yeah. Um, and it's the same as the nursing home in Merlton. You know, they've got spare beds, but they can't open the rooms because there's no one to service them. And why can't they? Because they won't pay the people who have to service the rooms enough to live there. So it's sort of a, a catch-20 firm. This is being played out right across the whole country. I don't know how you fix it. Uh, people smarter than we will work it out. So.
0: Mm. How did COVID affect – Like you've sorry, you've just um, talked about uh, the effect of COVID on rental and you're moving. The 2019 fires, 2020 fires, that happened over the summer break, right? That summer period, and then of course COVID hit in March, April. You know, the, we were in lockdown. How did how did you see the impact of COVID on the bushfire recovery versus 2009?
1: Yeah, well, I suppose it's um, well, bushfires affect. It, lots of people it's not just the people who, who are farmers and landholders and primary producers it affects the businesses everyone takes a hit um and then i suppose the the covid thing is we stopped sort of spending money in our hospitality places um, and that causes a lot of i suppose um, angst in the community because they expect to go and have a coffee and then they're not open because their mums and dads businesses and uh and they can't afford to pay someone because they're not turning over enough money to make it, then they're going to close their businesses for two days a week. And obviously in the Alpine area, it's uh, a tourist area. And obviously post-COVID, we had a a tourism boom because everyone came out of the cities and they basically um, liked the lifestyle that we were living. I remember when I came to Middleford in 2000, uh, the visitor centre was at the Ponderosa Cabin in the main street and used to close at Saturday lunchtime. And I thought, what's going on here? You know, this is a tourist town. It's closed in the visitor centre at lunchtime on Saturday. And I suddenly had to think through, what's why people live in rural areas? Because you live there for the outdoor activities that it provides. They go walking, fishing, hunting, and so forth. So the town's changed because of major tourism activities like rail trails and and festivals and events that are run in the northeast. But anyway, um, yeah, a lot of people came out of Melbourne, uh, obviously having holidays after being locked down saw the prices of real estate thought yeah this is really good we'll do that and um uh, and this is what's happened all the housing stock has been purchased by people who have, some of it's gone on to airbnb i wouldn't say that's all of it but um uh in brighton name it. they've got you know a major housing development being planned uh rural land's been um sold and it's going to be turned into residential and there's going to be another 380 houses in bright that'll be a thousand cars so essentially you can't find a car space now so i don't know what's going to happen when you have another you know thousand cars there and that's what's happened now, people are living in bright don't like what's happened to their town well we moved to merleford and slowly but surely merleford's changed in it's dynamic as well but getting back to your question yeah double whammy having bushfires and um COVID, um yeah, it wasn't a good time. I was working at a bubble shop and I was very, very busy. Um, people did uh, drink a lot more during those lockdown periods and people found ways. Like I made a point of going to cafe doors and buying coffees and buying takeaway foods from pubs. And, and that's still happening now. People have sort of found ways to get around these problems. Um, yeah, but, you know, Australia's changed. I don't know how we get the old Australia that we loved and enjoyed back again.
0: And you've you've raised a really interesting point about this—the uh, the growth in these little towns, right? Uh, since COVID, like people it left the city in droves, and I know um, what that meant for our region as well. And just thinking about the towns—Myrtleford, Bright, and all around there—they're all fire-prone areas. What? Uh, so they've moved at a time where people have kind of got out of that initial stage of the post-fire. Impact and and trauma. You know, people will be getting into new homes uh, um, if they if they lost their prop if they lost their home. Now, these new people are coming in that probably see it as a lifestyle change, right? Do they have any awareness of what it means to live in a rural area, and do they understand the history of the fires in that area and how to cope? Like, do they are they being educated, or do they have any awareness? Is, is, to, to yeah. where they're
1: actually moving? I think you get it through osmosis. there's no formal training or whatever. You talk to the people who are shopholders and all of those are long-term alpine residents. Um, certainly, my experience having moved there is, yeah, um, you get to know people in the post office, the news agents, the different places and and I suppose having been through the two thousand, two thousand three, two thousand, Um, nine fires, Uh, there's uh, awareness now. We do have things called catastrophic days, and they hadn't been discussed in 2000, but they are now, and that means you clean up. Council's got a good information plan going out through newsletters and their websites. Everyone's sort of got a smart device now can tap into this type of information. The CFA, they're doing regular inspections of different things, but once again, they're a volunteer organisation, very light on the ground. And I just think we need to incentivise volunteering. And um, I think that uh, wouldn't it be nice if, like in the Army, we had this thing called the Army Individual Readiness Notice. That means you were fit to deploy and you had to wear a little badge. And I think if there was a minimum requirement in the CFA or the SES, I reckon you should get your registrations for your cars half price. You know, give people a reason. Now, let's recognise their contributions in a positive way and uh, have specialised number of that I'm a CFA volunteer and you might get a bit of courtesy on the street and you'll get paid forward, I think. And especially in a closed-lit community like Myrtleford, like uh, it's sort of. Um, I was told when I first moved there, I rented my house from an Italian. He said, After oh, you live in this town for six months, you won't want really to live anywhere else. And I still feel that way. I still miss Myrtleford. I still ring three or four people a week, Maybe though I have relocated to Ballarat. But um, it is a wonderful community and um, it's resilient, and uh, they all have different. Programs and activities. Um, look, uh, the amount of activity that's happened in the 20 years. Now we've got a a, a new police station, we've got a, um, a piazza. Um, there's there's yeah there's been a lots of major projects, and uh, and I think it's up to the service clubs and volunteer organisations to have recruitment programs. People just need to be asked, and um, and I think that yeah we had a, a wood day. Uh, the RSL after World War One used to have a program of cutting firewood the widows and they that still continues in Mel to, to today like we get hardwood our allies club with the rotary club and the RSL, mm-hmm. and uh, they have get the football club involved you know the football club recovery could be on sunday and they deliver now 15 trail loads of wood to the infirmed of our community and i think that's a wonderful program and um, i had jokingly rang up one of the guys this morning in my club and i said i oh, you're the welfare officer. I think my mother needs some firewood in Ballarat, but they wouldn't deliver it this fast. So, yeah.
0: Sorry for the interruption. This is Ian Westmoreland, the founder of Kintsugi Heroes, and thank you for listening to this story from one of our amazing heroes. Our mission is for these stories to provide hope and inspiration to people experiencing life challenges and to also educate the broader community on how best to provide support. If you would like to help us continue to produce more hero stories and cover more adversity themes, we would welcome all donations. These can be made via our website, kintsugiheroes.com.au. The donate function is at the bottom of the homepage. We'd also welcome any feedback. You can email me direct using ian at kintsugiheroes.com.au. Now let's get back to the story. I love your insights into the community organisations, and I think the importance of them in in everyday life, right? If, whether it's getting firewood, getting water, you know, bringing people together. I, I was having a conversation with uh, another person who it will be on this podcast series, and he is a specialist in uh, disaster recovery, and he's a, he's a psychotherapist, and he's been consulting to Victorian government. Red Cross and various organisations like um, Lions Club since 1989, since, since 1983, the Ash Wednesday bushfires. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the importance of going to the community and or learning from others. And by talking about where you're at and hearing and being there to hear what others are going through, you get to recognise the stages of recovery and you know he talks about the different stages of recovery and how long it takes and um, but just the importance of having the consistent social networks and knowing that you are supported and having that social um, bond and and foundation whether you you're there every week or every month you know whatever is right for you and there are times when you need to pull away you know and, and and go through your own stuff in life but he talked about it from a from a observational clinical you know researched perspective about the, the the importance of these organizations and you're coming at it from the human lived experience and and someone who has volunteered for so many years like you said your your family is steeped in volunteering mm-hmm. and i just want to raise that and just talk about how important these community organizations have been in not just you delivering or being a lifter, delivering the support, but also as a as a person, like how important has it been for you to be involved in these community groups and efforts for you to get through uh, whatever you've experienced through the different bushfires and, and you know, traumatic events? Yeah,
1: I think um, having... Lots of different activities in your life you can tap into. Obviously, if you look at your priorities, your personal health and well-being, then it's your family, then it, it's your work. If Lions Club's coming first where well, you've got the wrong priorities, we don't need you because you're going to enjoy what's going on. And uh, we've had a few Lions that you know jumped in the deep end. Um, and this continues. People struggle with the pace of life nowadays. It's not just the financial presence. Mum and Dad are both working. Um, Myrtleford has a wonderful sports program, or, or say the Alpine Shire. I wouldn't just narrow focus and say Myrtleford, that's the community I've lived and breathed in. And, um, there's a bit of rivalry between the towns, as there are in all local small communities. But um, there's some wonderful sporting and outdoor activities, and they're the sorts of things that keep you mentally, uh, I suppose, calibrated um, with, with whatever. And through those, I suppose, family gatherings and networks, um, you can talk about the worst moments in your life and people can say, um, look, I'm always mindful that when someone tells you they've been through this and you try and tell them your same story and you think, well, no, I haven't walked in your shoes and you know, I didn't stand there with a hose and, and fight fire the fires and see what was happening. I didn't have to go out and live it for two three years. And as Ian has spoken about uh, at many times is there's still a lot of damage from all the fires that we've had for the last 20 years and people just don't know that and uh, i think that's real in every community but i think it's the fabric of your community that gets you through these things if you have good friends around you uh well then you have the ability to to share experiences and be and and clear then there's obviously professional services that they do become available as i mentioned earlier a volunteer organization just looks after a small bit of it and we have to step back and get back involved with our own family because our priority is to be to our own family units as well. but um, no, Myrtleford is a vibrant community. Uh, Alpine Shire is a vibrant, a vibrant place to live, and uh, the reason people live there and don't earn half a billion job, dollars jobs in Melbourne because they don't they like the lifestyle and uh, and and the opportunities that provide to their families and so forth. So, but I think it's just that. $64 million question is how we get the next generation engaged and involved and in these social groups where they can talk through some of their problems, um, which are not just all because of natural disasters. They've got lots of problems for lots of reasons, and that's just the fiscal liabilities they've got ahead in their lives trying to save up a deposit for a house, um, meet their outgoings, you know, meet the 25% increase in power and so forth. and. Uh, there are other welfare organisations and sadly the churches uh, are disappearing. Uh, people aren't going to church and that's where I got my value system as a child is that we went to um, our local church and not that I'm religious in any way, it's just that it was where uh, I had fellowship and, and able to have a variety of experiences which I think give you a good grounding in life. And I think, yeah, having those Zoom meetings and computer games and whatever else. We're just going to get kids more rounded about what's out there in life, and it's just more than watching a movie and trying to kill some fictitious enemy on the computer. So
0: yeah, couldn't agree. We're covering a lot
1: of broad range of subjects here.
0: Aren't yeah. we? Aren't we? What's been the most, um, looking back over the 2009 fires, Darren, mm-hmm. what was your biggest learning from that that you then have has carried with you?
1: I suppose from a Lions Club perspective is that I'm one club of 61 and collectively we could um, gather resources to do some wonderful things on the ground for the community. It's the same way we'll respond to you know, the flood events in Echuca and, and Rochester and these sorts of things. And, yeah, uh, like Lions' motto is that we serve. And uh, But, yeah, that was a real sobering thing for me to see the support that we got from 61 of the clubs and i haven't visited those 61 clubs i've been to a few other ones but that um yeah couldn't thank them enough for getting involved and committed from the top down and uh um yeah and as i said you know fodder programs you now that was running out of the corang lions club and they did a magnificent job they did that through the victorian federation of farmers and um and then, obviously, people in the district provided adjustment for animals that needed to get onto us and for us to, be, to recover from, from them because they were casualties in themselves. But, um, but yeah, no, I think that was the service club perspective. I suppose the other thing is how quickly the community comes together and um, supports every endeavour. Uh, there's a fundraising event or there's um, uh, information on Everyone comes, listens, and learns. And, and I think it's I think if all the information is there. Just with, I'm talking about new people that come into our community. They've just got to get involved and and lift and don't lean. And uh, I think that's the secret to a good community, a resilient community, and one that will continue to grow and and heal from these major
0: events we now have. Absolutely. And how do you think Myrtleford and the Alpine region has gone in that process since the 2019 fires?
1: Yeah, obviously, my focus is narrow. Uh, I think the councillors would be looking at the broad picture uh, with um, the expertise they can tap into at the state and federal level. But uh, yeah, I think, um, look, I don't see the bank balances of farmers. Like they've just come out of a, a, a good farming period where they're getting good prices for their animals, but that's just half now. And all of a sudden, in, half their income's gone. So do they need a Another, another flood or a fire event to contend with, no they don't, but that's, that's the challenge of being farmers in Australia. Um, it's not just Victoria that suffers it, it's, um, um, it's a right across our whole country, like having been in the army, I was in Darwin during the Catherine flood event in 1998. One thing that did grow out of in the Black Saturday bushfires was Blaze and the butlers out of Kilmore. They did a remarkable job pulling together people, like minded people, and they were basically the Grow nom- Nomad um, Brigade that we were traveling and all of a sudden came to Blaze sort of camps at different locations and helped with fencing. They would go in and you know, remove the old fencing, help you know, dispose of stock and uh, I got a bit involved with that when Bridgewater got flooded and uh, another mate of mine who's a retired major uh, set up a, a flood recovery camp using the blaze bushfire assets. And uh, amazing, once again, all these um, non-government agencies like First Fight Program, Food Becomes Like It's just having people with knowledge. And I think what you and Ian are doing by making these podcasts available just make you realize that... Um, uh, you only find out stuff by asking, and um, and then through experiences and tapping into resources within the community, um, because um, yeah, people are a valuable resource, and um, mm-hmm. and everyone's got a good idea. Like when you join Lies club, you ask, you, you don't ask them to do jobs, you ask them what their motivation is, and then give them that job. You know what I mean? You're just not everyone's going to do the same job. Uh, yeah. You, you get an older head, a wiser head as you get older. Um, and yeah, people learn for, through their experiences and hopefully just survive the ones. And obviously, with bushfire fighting in the northeast now, they've really got some good programs where you just stay and fight or go early because there's only a few number of roads going in out of Myrtleford and uh, you can get caught up out. And uh, I can remember being in the Alpine Shire uh, recovery centre overnight in Old uh, Senior Citizens in Smith Street and uh, and I had a, a, a couple come in saying they're going to lie down in the tobacco paddock and uh, where the fire comes because green tobacco doesn't burn, unknown to be. I said, oh, okay, well, what's, I can't tell you what to do. It's a personal choice, but I was thinking of the three little pigs, so I'm going to go for a house of bricks every time and uh, and you're most welcome to come and be in the centre here, which was set up to provide that immediate first aid in the in the response phase uh, for the people who need to get into a safe haven and uh, yeah but i suppose everyone's got to be mindful of the Alpine risk and that is yes you are in a rural area it's very isolated there's not enough you know, ambulances and um, response assets and you're not necessarily going to see a fire truck turn up to the door because it may be looking after a vital asset within the town so you've got to have your own assets available and, and keep it tidy and, and household. So, hmm.
0: yeah, and and that's really wise and a really important point that a couple of people have actually made as well. You know, and that is to be responsible and you've got to effectively look after yourself. Uh, be ready and not assume that some helicopter or a uh, a fire truck is going to come and save you and it goes back to your point of getting involved in the community and these the, the, the resources that are available um, because there are these things that are have popped up from these natural disasters like catastrophic day and there's different efforts to educate and get people's properties ready and I think it's really important that People are aware, especially these new people that are coming into these towns that think, oh, this is really lovely. Yes, okay, there was a fire, but you know, I'll be okay. You know, it
1: was in the army, you'd get posted to a unit that had an induction program. You'd have a week of orientation into the community to find out things. You know, perhaps we need induction programs in, in communities. I don't know which organization runs it, but just to talk about. But uh, There is a community guide which the Alpine Shire um, produces every year and sends out to every uh, resident. Uh, within that, it could be, you know, a bit like the old phone book. You know, they used to have the all the emergency procedures inside the cover. But we're a, an IT sort of literate community now. These things could be online, but that's good when the power's running. But if you haven't got the power running, what's the next thing, you know? Like, I remember when the first bushfire was around, the first thing I did was fill the bath full of water because If the power goes out, the pumps go out and you've got no water. And uh, there's sort of lessons learned. But uh, needless to say, I didn't get burnt. But we did have ash falling in the town, which makes you sober up and realise what could potentially happen. And uh, there's some beautiful trees around Myrtleford, and they're all pretty close to people's houses. But, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, combined there's uh, an understanding that in rural areas you've just got to be aware of your environment listen to the information that's coming through all the different media, VTV, radio, as I say, um, yeah, SES get the job to knock on doors and tell people in the flood situation, you better start packing up because this is far away. but you can go online and look at the river systems and where the major flood marks are and, and work it out pretty quickly for yourself. So, yeah, I think uh, yeah, people are in a, a flood-affected area, need to know where the high water mark is. When was the last time it went to that point? Because, yeah, taking your equipment to higher ground was safe. Having to replace it because insurance will never be enough. And uh, yeah, it's, yeah, we, we keep unfortunately learning and failing to learn lessons from the past. And uh, yeah, like I just had a Zoom meeting for my housing where I'm living now, and I'm in an owner corporation, and they've told us the insurance will go up 20% this year. And uh, and that's just the realities. And I can't change it, just got to wear it, and you're not going in life and not have radically insured yourself and that's something else people need to consider in rural areas yeah what is your actual house worth and what does the fine print actually say you know yeah and so in the northern territory example in catherine um i was taking a vehicle from new south wales up there but as soon as i crossed into the northern territory it wasn't insured they don't cover vehicles in northern territory once again small small tip for young players at the same time then they don't Water damage is the water that falls from the sky, not the water that rises out of the ground. And that's another, you the know, fine print. So you've really got to look at your insurance policies and understand that. Anyway, we're getting a lot of target on the volunteer and we did some good recovery work. And uh, yeah, I thought it was uh, it was good that we could get involved and make a little bit of a difference to the people affected. Uh, did we do enough? No, we didn't. Um, could we done any more? Yes, we probably could, but. Uh, as I said, everyone has to get back to their own lives. And, um, uh, you, and look, our priority was to look after our Lions Club members. We had some sort of members of directly affected, and we tried to help them first and foremost because they're your friends and your family. And, and that's just something else is there's peer support. You know, there's extended families and neighbours, and you know that will always happen in rural areas, mm-hmm. and as, as it should happen in cities as well. But unfortunately, we just live in our shoeboxes in cities. So.
0: And and that's one of the things I think that makes the the country areas very different. You know that community uh, aspect and and that sharing togetherness, that you know knowing who your neighbours are. So I guess for those people who have moved to these areas in the last couple of years, uh, or probably eighteen months, I guess since lockdowns ended and flooded these small rural towns, you know it's important for them not only to learn the ways, learn the history. Get educated and ready, but also meet people. You know, join these groups, join these community groups as much as possible. And for the existing people, just you know, put their head head over the fence and meet their neighbors and talk and and create these. You know, get involved. It's um, Mm -hmm. it's very different to being in the city, and it and it's to me. But what what's coming out of all these conversations, Darren, is this need to connect the need to talk, the need to share, and that's going to be the fabric of survival, really, in in all of these different disasters that happen.
1: Yeah, it's communication in every way possible through every medium and um, just making people aware that, you know, your catastrophic days have some serious consequences if you don't start thinking about it, you know, a month before, you just can't. Turn the tap on and expect all these things to happen. Um, you can contact the CFA. Like, um, I got involved in lots of other organisations in Myrtleford, but I just felt that I would stay within the Lions Club organisations. Um, as I mentioned, my grandfather and father were in Rotarians, and I thought I'd be a Rotarian, but they meet every week, and I thought a fortnight meeting was enough for me. And uh, in my 23 years in the club, there hasn't been many roles I haven't done. And uh, and I've been involved with festivals and rodeos and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, fundraising is a is a big part. And um there's only a certain amount of money that people are prepared to allocate um to charities and organisations. But getting people who are passionate and involved about their community, you know, Myrtleford is uh, a wonderful place and Alpine Shire, I should say. I couldn't should not continue to say Myrtleford because other people other than Myrtleford people will watch this podcast. And uh but uh, I would say that um, yeah, don't be a spectator, uh, get involved and be a
0: lifter. Brilliant. Now uh, just we're coming to a, a close shortly. I, I've got a, a final question for you. Looking back on the experiences you've had with the different bushfires, Darren, if there was one thing that you could say to someone who maybe is is going through it or or just has gone through it, like another natural disaster or bushfire, what's the one thing you'd say to them that could help them with their journey of recovery?
1: Communicate. Mm. Um, Don't bottle it all up. Um, Getting connected to the various organisations and agencies. Don't be proud to talk about it Um, or shy. Um, Think that you're weak or anything, just accept that, yeah depression is a real thing and it's accumulative and yes these events will stack on top of one another uh we did some critical incident debriefing from our exposures to different stuff but we're not professional but there are professionals offered at the end of these activities but um yeah i would just say yeah stay connected to all the organizations in your community um and get involved with the ones you think um suited to you because not everyone's profile would necessarily match to the organization's available. But as I say, I just think yeah, getting people in volunteering roles, you know, there's shows and there's lots of different events that they can get involved with. And once you get within one group, you'll find yourself migrating into other groups and your network will become stronger. You'll have a bigger circle of friends and you'll enjoy life more.
0: So, Wonderful. Yeah, great advice. Uh, spoken from someone who's been through a lot been there done that many times and yeah. you know I love what you're doing with lions and um, all the, the different efforts that you've you've instigated and supported and, and helped with over the years it's been it's, it sounds wonderful it's, it's mm. great
1: yeah. mm. one other thing I'll just share with you this doesn't mean really to be recorded but uh, because of the example of the Black Saturday bushfires and the money that was available we as Alliance Club got a letter from a Melbourne Alliance Club asking us to donate money for a house, um, accommodation for families that went from rural areas to Melbourne for cancer treatments and other surgeries because it's quite expensive to go to Melbourne and be there for a week. Anyway, in the backdrop of that, uh, one of our alliance members said that, well, hang on, my um, uh, mother in law is going over to Orba, Rodonga, and they're staying in motels. The need is not in Melbourne for us. It's actually on the border. So as I was secretary at the time, I'm not blowing my own trumpet here, but essentially I wrote a note to the zone meeting, which is the next level above club meeting, and saying that there's a need for accommodation on the border. And anyway, that was then taken to a a district meeting, and then from that we grew and became involved in a project over in albury Redonga, which was being sort of run by Fight Cancer, Rotary, and Zonta, which is a ladies' service club organization. And once we got the V6 lines involved with 61 clubs, all of a sudden there was $200,000 found, and it got the money across the line, and now there's a 26-bed accommodation facility next to the Albury Cancer Hospital in Albury. And so our Lions Club was the one that sort of pioneered or championed that to the district. And uh, and as you say, um, have a good idea, bring it forward, and That's it. Uh, in the willpower you'll get it to happen. At the same time, my motivation was there because my father was going through cancer at the time, and um, and and then myself, I had a cancer journey, and I stayed in accommodation at Peter Mac, and you know, it's sort of, mm. it's just yeah, you know where the needs are. And, you know, have to serve. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, Lions, all I can say is if, if great organisation and same as Rotary, same as Apex, same as all the service clubs, um, just get involved and be part of it.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Love what you're doing. Thank you so much, Darren. It's been a pleasure talking with you and I I love your energy and everything that you've been doing and what you're all about. It's great. Really, really inspiring and very positive. So, Thank you. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for the work you're doing too, Avalon, with, with the union of
0: You're very welcome. Thanks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Kintsugi Heroes with the Alpine Bushfires special series. Please like and share the show to your friends so we can get this out to even more people. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, please reach out using the contact details below. And join us for our next hero story. Until then, keep being you and remember that we are all heroes in our own unique way.